Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Last one of this particular series on uh, Advent and on Christmas. We move on next week to our Epiphany sermon series, which is entitled <clears throat> uh, Prophets and Poets. And uh, I love preaching through Epiphany. I've enjoyed Advent. I've enjoyed this little theme, but I'm real ready for something different. But I did find one more thing for us to think about here. Uh, context is important. Um, go ahead and move me to the next slide, Jason, if you would. Context is important. So you have this Willy Wonka guy, and if you've ever watched this movie, which is from like 40 years ago now, it's a long time ago, you will notice, you, go ahead and hit me again there, Jason, I think you're going to have to run those slides. You will notice that there are some images here that make some sense on the screen that would not necessarily make sense outside of the screen. Like there is a, y'all, there's a river of chocolate, Amen. And as good as that sounds, if the canals downtown would be full of chocolate, that would be odd. That would be, that'd be strange. And these characters here in the top right-hand corner, the Oompa Loompas, we don't really, we're not really shocked to see them uh, running around on, in the chocolate factory. If we were to see them in Mustang, however, that would be different. And then, <clears throat> and this is maybe one of my favorite scenes, you see this bottom left-hand image here, Willy Wonka is is uh, singing through this song of pure imagination. And this is toward the end of the song, and he sips something. He actually plucks this uh, dish, this cup and saucer, out of a plant that was growing cups and saucers, and there was something in it to drink. And after he drank it, he ate the cup. <laughs> now, at Starbucks, if you see someone eating his or her cup, call someone because that person is ill. Context is everything. Context is everything. Seeing these images on the screen, uh, we're, we're not shocked or surprised because we understand the context. These verses that we just read that are fast becoming some of my favorite verses, to be, to be uh, honest with you, if I only preach those three verses, I will have significantly taken them out of context. <laughs> I mean, they're great, and we're going to return to them, and we're going to be helped and nourished by them. But the context within which we find these verses perhaps will add to the meaning, the depth of these verses. Let's, let's go to the next slide. So this is the context. Um, Dr. Tashton preached it very well. If I was smarter, I would have just had Dr. Tashton preach it again, what he did this morning in the... Uh, Wesley Covenant Service, which was just beautiful. And, and this is part of what we heard from him today. The, the, the historical context is something like this. The people of God are headed home. They've been wiped out and exiled by the Babylonians, but now the Persians have wiped out the Babylonians, and the Persians seem to have cleared the way for the people of God to return home, return back to Judah, back to Jerusalem, in the hopes that they could rebuild their city, in the hopes that they could rebuild the wall around the city, in the hopes that they could rebuild the temple. Now, in the mind of the prophet, the theology of the prophet, it goes something like this. God has done this. 
God has fought for you. God has um, entered into the realm of the geopolitical and made changes for his namesake and for the sake of the people. But this image doesn't look like it so much here, but I'm going to read to you uh, the verses that are in between verse 1 and verse 7. It gets a little disturbing, so hear this. Reading from verse 1, who is this that comes from Edom, from Basra in garments stained crimson? Who is this so splendidly robed, marching in his great might? It is I, now this is God speaking now, this is God marching up, announcing vindication, mighty to save. Now there's going to be a back and forth conversation that really lasts from now to the end of the book, so all the way through chapter 66. And now this is something said to or of God. Why are your robes red and your garments like those, like theirs who tread the winepress? Now God speaks and he says, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. This is an accusation. This is an indictment of the people of God. There is some sense in which God is now saying here, I fought for you, and you didn't help. I fought for you. I changed your circumstances, and you did nothing. You did not pull your own weight. And so I had to wipe out all of these people myself. I trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath. Their juice spattered on my garments and stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year for my redeeming work had come. I looked, but there was no helper. I stared, but there was no one to sustain me. So my own arm brought me victory and my wrath sustained me. I trampled down peoples in my anger. I crushed them in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Ouch. And Happy New Year to you. You ever feel like sometimes we need to be protected from Scripture? Yeah, I don't. I don't feel that way. But it is interesting, isn't it, to hear and now perhaps even see another side of God. You and I are made in God's image, and we say that often enough that it's not new. We understand we're made in God's image. We may not understand what that means. Perhaps for you that means, well, I have a nose. God must have a nose. And maybe there's something to that, right? But perhaps it also includes this. I have a range of emotions as a human being. And perhaps these these emotions that I have as a regular, old, run-of-the-mill human being are in and of themselves somehow representative of the God who made me. I mean, it's not the only place in Scripture where we would have some sort of what I would call a negative emotion assigned or ascribed to God. You are aware, right, that Scripture often says that God is jealous, right? It's not necessarily an attractive trait when someone is jealous of someone else. And yet our God is referred to as jealous. Perhaps there's something of our jealousy that is reminiscent of God 
who feels so deeply and so strongly for us that God can be made jealous if our eyes wander a bit. And God apparently can be disappointed. I know I can be disappointed. Can you be disappointed? Perhaps in our capacity to be disenchanted or disappointed, maybe even there, if we're looking closely enough, we can see something of the God who created us because I think if you're listening closely, you don't even have to be listening closely. If you're listening at all to the verses I just read, you hear a God who is disenchanted with God's people. Disappointed in God's people. 2017 is upon us. And as you are right there at the turn, right, 1231, 2016, and 1 1, 2017, you're offered this great opportunity to reminisce. Like you can see it all over the place. You can see it on your sports channels, on your entertainment channels. You can probably hear it in conversations. Let's talk about the greatest list of whatever. It's a regular occurrence at the household of Smith, right? Regular occurrence. The greatest 2016 list of, maybe you also do this other list, which is, what were the hardest things about 2016? What were the toughest things? That list is long, too. Anybody else glad to see 2016 go? (laughs) Welcome, 2017. (laughs) And if we're honest, we also have this opportunity at the turn of the year to look back on our year of faith and recognize that there were good days and bad days, good seasons and rough seasons, seasons that would make a fatherly God beam, and then other seasons. Is it possible? Is it possible? I won't put this on you all. I'll make it all about me at this point. Is it possible that God has been disappointed in me at any point? I'm not changing what I said to you earlier. God's mind about me is made up. I do believe that. But that doesn't mean that God turns a blind eye to when I fail. Make sense? I'm a parent. I get that. God's mind about me is made up. That doesn't mean that at some point this year, perhaps, I have had a season or two where I've disappointed God. And maybe you have too. Let's don't raise hands. Don't point. None of that. But maybe other people in the room also have disappointed God. The people of God way back when had desperately disappointed God. And we hear it from God's own mouth. Is that the last word, though? Let, let's, let's, not, let's not be tone deaf. God has the capacity <laughs> to be disappointed. You, you need to know that. God has the capacity to be angry. God has the, the capacity to be frustrated by the behavior, especially the behavior of the people who purport to be the people of God. God has that gear everyone. You don't have to say amen, but you need to know that's true. But is it the last word? But is it the last word? So, God comes striding up to the ruins of Jerusalem. 
They see God coming in the distance, according to the imagination of the prophet, and they say, look at this mighty warrior. Why are your robes all stained? And God says, because I had to do all the fighting. I had, to, I had to do all the work. And they ruined my robes. <laughs> and you can hear it in God's voice. You can hear it in the choice of words. God is, in fact, disappointed at the very least. And then, in a moment, the tone changes. Ne next slide, Jason. Next one, I'm sorry. The tone changes. Now, this is the prophet. This is not God. This is the prophet who recognizes, and maybe it's a good thing here, maybe we need to be reminded, be reminded of the power of confession to own whatever it is that we have not done well. And the prophet here, I think, leads the people. And maybe this is a prayer that should become our prayer for 2017. Maybe this is one that we should say and pray over and over. Listen to this. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us. Next slide. And the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Man, hear this. You miss the point of OKC first and the gospel, more importantly, if you miss this. The relationship that you and I have with God is not a business relationship. We don't get because we have purchased. Now, you have that relationship perhaps with other people in the business world where there are agreements drawn up, contractual agreements perhaps, and so long as you do what you are supposed to do, the other party does what he or she is supposed to do. And you kind of meet there, and there can be happiness and good things there when everybody does what they're supposed to do. You and I do not have that kind of relationship with God the Almighty. Here's the kind of relationship that we have with God the Almighty. We have it within us. We have it within us. As chronically normal human beings, we have it within us to fail. God has it within God's self to be merciful. And our relationship has more to do with God's mercy than our performance. Mm. Yeah, that's a good place for an amen, so I'm going to do it over here because I think y'all can do better than they did, okay? <laughs> Ours is not a business relationship. God is not fair with us. It's tilted in our favor. We do not get what we deserve from God. Our relationship is not based on some sort of scorekeeping mechanism. We are in the place that we are in with God because of the mercy of God and all God's people said, Amen. oh man, that's our certainty and that is our hope. It's not because you and I have finally gotten it right. It's because God is God. It's because God's mind about us is made up, even if your mind about God isn't. Doing okay? Look at this. Now God is speaking. Now remember, just two verses ago, God was desperately disappointed. <laughs> For God said, surely they are my people. Surely, 
They are children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in their distress. And it gets better, you guys, because it was no messenger. It was no messenger or angel, but God's very presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. God did not send some sort of messenger with a signed letter, a sealed and signed letter. God says, I keep showing up and I will keep showing up because I have decided for you, with you, your mind, I'll be there. Surely my children will not deal falsely with me. Well, until they do. And they do in verse 10. And that was seven, eight, nine. This is 10. <laughs> but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he became their enemy. He, he himself fought against them. Y'all, we should really vote on taking some of these verses out of the Bible. And still, God's mind is made up. So there is, from this point on through the end of really of chapter 64, there's, there's this long pronounced, pronounced uh, long um, prayer, is what I meant to say. Listen to some of this. The prophet having heard this response or having seen this is now cycling through all of this, the people have failed again. Even after God has committed God's self, people have failed again. And now it seems God is angry, walking around, perhaps with his hands on his hips. <laughs> and the people are left to wonder, what have we done? What will God do now? Verse 11. Then they remembered the days of old of Moses, his servant. Where is the one who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? God, come back, come back. Where is the one who put within them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to march at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths, and on and on and on. The author seems to recount the story the story of God's people, the interaction between God and God's people, and all the different times that God came rushing to the rescue, particularly when the people did not deserve it and could not muster up the effort themselves. He keeps telling the story, God, you're this God, remember? You're this God. Your reputation's at stake. Please come back. Please come back and help us. And if you're into it emotionally, you read the rest of chapter 3, you read on into chapter 64, and you can kind of just hear the prophet as representative of the people now pleading with God, don't leave us. You've seen, God, what you've done. We've seen what you've done before. Come back like that. Don't leave us. That's through the rest of chapter 63, and then throughout all the verses of chapter 64. And by the end of chapter 64, again, if you're not familiar with what happens beyond that, and you get to the end of chapter 64, this thing isn't resolved yet, and you can kind of feel the anguish well up. God, please come back. 
is what will be the last word. Because this cycle seems to continue, doesn't it? God promises. The people say, whew, God, we are so grateful that you have promised. You know what? We'll do whatever you want us to do until we forget, and then we're going to stop doing anything. And then God is forced to recover somehow. God, God is disappointed, perhaps even disenchanted, and God says, man, this is frustrating to me. What am I going to do with these people? Then God sort of gathers God's self and says, I know what I'm going to do, and I'm going I'm to re-embrace. And then the people say, whew, we didn't deserve that. We love this, this grace thing. We love this. Thank you, God. We will never stray again. And then we do. And again, God wrings God's hands and, and puts his hands on his hips and, and walks around saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The cycle seems to be endless. What will be the last word? This is the last word. Let me, let me read you something that will serve sort of as a long caption for this. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them. said it last week, reference to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, God's last Word, is and always will be Jesus. So, yeah, it's possible that the people of God will continue to stumble along. At midday as if it was night is another favorite phrase of mine in the book of Isaiah. It is possible that the people of God will fail. It is possible that in 2017, you will have seasons of failure where faith is concerned. It is possible. Okay, it's probable, it's probable. It doesn't have to be that way, but we look around and we look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, we say to one another, I don't know if every day can be a great day. It's possible that you'll disappoint God this year. It's possible that I'll disappoint God this year. As good a guy as he is, I think it's possible that Jason will disappoint God this year. And you know what God will be? Disappointed. The last word will always be Jesus. The last word will always be Jesus. It won't be a messenger. It won't be an angel. It will be the very presence of God that brings some tangibility to grace. Dr. Green said it so often, it became a mantra around here. Grace is always mediated through warm bodies. 
always mediated through warm bodies. In other words, you can tell people about grace, but until you put skin and flesh on that grace, I don't know if folks get it. But when you put skin and flesh on grace, people get it. And when we come to this table, we remember and we rehearse and we celebrate the tangibility of grace, the tangibility of God with us, Emmanuel. Have you made your New Year's resolutions yet? Me neither. Okay, let's do that. Let's do a little bit of resolution making just here right quick. I, I would submit that this would be a good one. Let's, you and I, learn to pray this prayer on a regular basis. Isaiah 63, 7. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord. The praiseworthy acts of the Lord because of all that the Lord has done for us. And the great favor to the house of Israel, let's understand that to be us, that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Some tells me if we were to pray that prayer often enough, then like the other prayers that we pray on a regular basis, it might shape us, it might shape our imagination. Perhaps there would be fewer days of failure if we lived in the memory of all that God has done to put skin and flesh on God's choice for us. If you're gonna help us set the table, would you please come and do that now? It was no messenger, it was not an angel. It was the presence, the very presence of God that gave tangibility to God's last word. And never forget this, God's last word to us is and always will be Jesus. All you need to know about God, all you need to know about God, you can find out by taking a good long look at this Jesus. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, in their tangibility, may they remind us of the very tangible, embodied ways in which you have communicated yourself and communicated your last word to us in Christ. God, as we hold these symbols, broken body and shed blood, may we understand the sacrifice, not so much as evidence of how angry you get with us, but as evidence of how far love will go and how far you will go to make your point. So God, every time we gather around this table, may it be a celebration of your love that we at times have trouble understanding or fathoming. May we, in fact, every time we gather, understand these to be symbols and messages of love as opposed to messages of judgment. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left,
and come forward to approach the person holding bread. Come with your hands cupped because this is grace. You don't buy this, you don't charge it, you can't swipe it. We're just gonna give it to you, it's free, it's tangible, it's free, it's grace. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. Dip it into the cup. The person with the bread will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. The person with the cup will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat, consume. Take into your own person the tangible expression of the last word of God, which is Christ. And understand that last word to be really, really good news. It was not a messenger or an angel. It was God's very presence. And it is God's very presence that saves you now. That saves you now. After you have eaten, please find a place to pray. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil, and we will pray that powerful prayer for healing right then and there. If you come to any one of these benches here up front, someone will meet you there. Any kind of prayer can be prayed here, but it won't be prayed alone. At some point, someone will touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder, just to give you another tangible reminder that you are not alone. Who is welcome at this table? Well, all of you. <laughs> all of you. All of you who understand your need for grace, no matter, no matter who you've been, no matter. All of you who understand your need for grace will always be welcome at this table. There's another stop you may want to make. Another way that you can be, in a tangible sort of way, reminded of God's choice for you, there's a bowl of water here. And if you dip your fingers in it long enough, perhaps it will jar your memory and you'll remember the moment that you were baptized and in a very official sort of way, welcomed into the family, the faith, the people with the mission. And if you need that tangible reminder, then make that special trip up here just dip your fingers in and remember. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior, the Word of God, took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and he said, and this this is my blood, the blood of a brand new covenant. Brand new covenant, God's always making new covenants with us. And every time you drink it, remember me. We believe and we always have that the greatest motivation to move toward Christ-likeness is gratitude and not threat. You are chosen and loved. And may your life of faith be moved and energized by that truth, gratitude. If you can't make it to us, Jason and Katie are on their way to you now. Across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive the gifts of God for the people of God.
brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can heal. So lay down your Father, we confess we confess that we have a lot in common with these ancient people who had it within them to celebrate the goodness and the grace that we receive from you and then forget and wander again. 
God, we're grateful for Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 9. Grateful. Grateful, Lord, not just for the words contained in those verses, but God, we're grateful for the context in which we find them. Grateful for all of these stories. Portray you as summoning up the imagination and the strength to come for us again, even after you have been bitterly disappointed, after you've been disenchanted, perhaps even frustrated. And yet, God, you keep coming for us. Keep coming for us in the greatest expression we've seen yet. expression of grace that we understand to be the word of God Christ himself God move us move us move us toward Christ's likeness and energize us to move toward Christ's likeness but but not in fear or threat but because God having been found out recognize that you still are coming for us. You still have chosen us. You still have not changed your mind about us. May there be something so humbling and maybe even embarrassing about that that we just can't help but respond with a thank you. Respond with an I love you too. Respond with our lives. 2017, Lord. May that be the year that we put it all in proper perspective and understand ourselves to be loved deeply and desperately and finally. And may that motivate us to move toward Christ-likeness. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. As we move towards these moments of prayers of intercession, would you draw your attention to someone in your life who needs a special physical healing touch from God. And as God brings that person into your mind's eye, would you pray for them for healing? Some names you may want to mention. We're going to mention by name here, my first name this morning. God, would you be with these with your tangible presence and healing touch with June June Adams, with Marvin Beard, Lynn Caprera with LaDonna Bennett James and Carolyn Shea apart from one another this Christmas season Lord we ask for your continued healing of Stan Toller in these moments we want to have an opportunity to pray for some family members of yours many of us through these last few weeks have been with family to pray with a family member of yours who needs a specific moment of God's presence in their life. Perhaps you have a family member that is a prodigal, someone who is away from God or does not have a church home. Would you pray for them in these moments at this time? to pray as Jesus asks us to pray for our enemies 
those who are close by and those who are far off. So if God brings to you someone in your mind's eye who you would call enemy or opposite, would you pray for them or ask God to want to want to pray for your enemies? I also want to pray for our city, our neighborhood, our state, our nation, and our world. That the very presence of God would bring peace amidst conflict and bring love in places of hatred. Lord, and use us to be your people in the midst of the whole world. God, teach us to be your people who embody this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. And we're going to pray using debts and debtors. And as we pray now, the words will be on the screen in front of you if you'd like to pray along. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 